Well, before we look into God's Word together, just want to review a book. This one's actually not a Christian book. This is uh, a book by Mortimer Adler, who I think at the end of his life he um, became Roman Catholic, uh, but for a while he was just a secular humanist. He's the editor of Encyclopedia Britannica and, uh, and also the great books of the Western world. He put uh, together a series that was published by Britannica. Uh, it's written in the 40s, uh, but it's an excellent book that has uh, stood the test of time and is still published today. And it's on how to read a book. Now, you may think, I know how to read a book. I don't need someone to tell me how. But I read this uh, last year and it changed the way I read. Uh, one of the best tips that he says is that uh, you're not meant to read all books at the same speed. And he goes through different types of literature and how to read different types of literature and not read them all at the same speed. Some books you're meant to skim quickly through, just getting the main ideas out. Others you're meant to slow down for. But most books, he says, uh, are not meant to be read uh, slowly and, and drunk in. You're meant to be just skimming through and, uh, and picking up the main ideas. And he gives exercises as to how to do that. He gives you a couple of documents and then tells you... Uh, what parts you basically can just go, oh yes, I know that, and skim through, and what parts you need to slow down for. And one of the other big tips that he, he gives, which I encourage myself, is how to make a book your own. Um, a lot of people, when they buy books, they never actually own their books. And, uh, and what he says is, is very helpful. He says, when you buy a book, you establish a property right in it, just as you do in clothes or furniture when you buy and pay for them. But the act of purchase is actually only the prelude to possession in the case of a book. Full ownership of a book only comes when you have made it a part of yourself. And the best way to make yourself a part of it, which comes to the same thing, is by writing in it. Now, I know a lot of people don't like writing in books. They don't like writing in the margin. They don't like underlining because they think, oh, it undervalues the book if I ever want to sell it later on. Well, why are you going to sell it? Keep the book and write in it. And I find that very helpful myself as I'm going through uh, a book to be underlining, to be writing things in the margin, to be putting question marks about certain things, to putting smiley faces when something amuses you. As you go through, it keeps your mind engaged to what you're doing and that you're reading there and uh, and doesn't allow your mind to drift off. And so I encourage that. I encourage that, of course, with your Bibles as well. Underlining them. Make your Bible your own. Make it a part of you. And one of the good ways to do that is by underlining in it and uh, by writing things. And my dad, you look at his Bible, he's got like little pictures, um, hieroglyphics. Like when it has the word heart, he puts a little heart there. When it has rain, he puts little drops of rain. So he gets the, and, and you look at the page and you can see all the different images that are being put forward by, um, by that particular passage. And he finds it helpful, has different colours for different themes. So if it's in pink, he knows what that represents. If it's in purple, he knows what that represents. And so he goes through it and does that. And I mean, I'm not that... Um, into making my book my own. I don't have little codes for everything. But um, many people do, and it helps you to really get the book into you. So I encourage you to read that. I mean, you may not want to read all of it when it talks about how to read mathematics, how to read science, but it encourages reading all types of material, gives a book of, of uh, gives a list at the back of good books to read that challenge your mind and train you. Uh, most people just read books for entertainment, uh, and he says, no, we should be reading to learn and to grow our minds, and I think he is right there. So even though he is uh, not a Christian, 
Uh, he has many helpful things to say, and God does speak through non-Christians to us and gives us many helpful things that are true about this world. And we don't discount all writings and all information just because it's uh, from a non-Christian. So I encourage you to read that one. It was very helpful to me. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's on the bookstore, twenty-four ninety-five um, from Curon. So pick that up if you're interested. Now, before we look into God's word, uh, let us uh, speak with him once more. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessings that you give us. We thank you for the blessing of the sunshine today. We thank you for the blessing of the rain that you have given us. Lord, we thank you for this tremendous blessing it is to have your word before us. Lord, we thank you for the prophet Isaiah. We thank you for the words that he spoke to your people in the past. And we thank you that he still speaks to your people today. And we are gathered as your people right here, right now, Lord. And we want to learn from Isaiah. Lord, we pray that you may fulfill this desire of ours, that we may be encouraged to serve you more faithfully as a result of hearing the voice of the prophet Isaiah and your voice as you speak through him. Lord, may this be a profitable time for us this morning. And may we walk out of here strengthened in the faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have many supports and supplies in our life, things that we depend upon to live out our lives. And one of those, I think, has become increasingly more and more important in my life, a support that I didn't have before, uh, is the internet. A few weeks ago when I moved, my internet connection went down for a week, And I didn't have access except on my mobile phone. And so I guess I didn't lose it completely. So I was still able to check my mail. But I wasn't able to write emails very easily. I wasn't able to do all the things that I do on my laptop that I can't do on my phone. And so I found that this to be a real struggle. How much I actually depended upon the internet. And so every day, pretty much, I had to make a walk up to McDonald's up the road with their free Wi-Fi access and log on to the internet there with my computer, do a number of things, and of course I had to pick up some sort of other necessities so that I was a patron of McDonald's, so I had to pick up that necessity of ice cream while I was there and have that, have a chocolate sundae while I was using their free Wi-Fi access. I've started to realise how much the internet has become a part of my life and how much I depend upon it for support. The passage that we're looking at this morning talks about the removal of supports of the people of Israel in Judah and in Jerusalem, that God is going to take away all their supports. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, is the removal of the supports of the Israelites and what that results in and why that happens. So if you've got a black church Bible, we're on page 677 of Isaiah chapter 3, and we'll be reading, uh, we'll be working through the verses from verse 1 of chapter 3 through to basically verse 8. So I encourage you to have that open there before you. And the first thing we're going to be looking at this morning is God actually going to remove these supports. So my first main point is that yes, the supports are removed. What does he take away? Does he take away their internet? No, he takes away other things. The internet hasn't been invented yet, but they have many things that they depend upon. And the first thing he says that he's going to remove is 
supplies of food and supplies of water. Read with me from verse 1 of chapter 3. See now the Lord, the Lord Almighty is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support, and then he starts to list them, all supplies of food and all supplies of water. Food and water are those things that we need, and they can be taken away all too easily through famine and through drought. The water just dries up. No more rain comes. What are you going to do? You build a desalination plant. No, they didn't have the opportunity to build a desalination plant then. Water just dries up. No more water, no more food. What else does he take away? Well, he takes away military support. Verse 2, the hero and warrior. He takes away those soldiers that are the, the good soldiers. You think of ancient Greece and the Spartans there with their mighty power and they have many heroes who just will not retreat. They will stand and die and not go back. Heroes and warriors, they're removed from Israel. Who's going to protect the Israelites? But not just the heroes and warriors. Keeps, uh, it gives us a couple of other military personnel. These uh, officers are all mixed up here. Uh, one commentator says it shows how mixed up Israel will be, that the hero and warrior, and then it comes judge, prophet, Susa, elder, they're all mixed up. But verse 3, we see another military leader, the captain of 50 and man of rank. So the captain who's in charge of 50 men, he's removed. And that just shows how poor uh, Israel's military support is when you think you're meant to have captains not just of 50 but of hundreds and thousands. And they don't even have a captain to look after 50 men. And their men of rank are removed. So it takes away their military support, takes away their food and water. What else does he take away? He takes away the judges. Verse 2, the hero and warrior, the judge. Judges are important, making wise decisions about who is in the right and who is in the wrong. Judicial support is very important, but God is removing that. What else? He's taking away advisors. Where do we see those? Verse 2, the hero and warrior, the judge and prophet, the soothsayer and elder. He's taking away elders. And why is he taking away elderly people? Is that such a bad thing to society, to remove all the elderly? Some people think that it's a a good idea. We practice euthanasia, set a limit as to what age we should just remove elderly people from. They're always radical people with strange ideas in their heads. But is that that a good thing? What, What function do elderly play? Well, they give us advice. They give us counsel. They've got experience. They've got more knowledge than us. Young people, they just, they've, they've been through things. They've read things. And particularly in this age where reading wasn't that easy. These days, if I want to know something, I don't have to ask an elderly person. I just Google it. But in these days, they didn't have Google. And so, who do they ask about something? They want to know something about history. Who do they ask? They ask the elderly person. They ask the elders. And they ask, what should I do in this situation? What did you do in this situation when you were my age? God's removing the elders, the people who can counsel them and advise them. And there's another word for them, uh, for the counsellors in, of course, verse 3. The captain of 50 men, uh, 50 and the man of rank, the counsellor. All those advisors are removed. Who else does he take away? What else does he remove? Well, he takes away spiritual support. Where do we see that? Verse 2, the hero and warrior, the judge and prophet. 
He takes away the prophets, the people who can tell you what God has said, the spiritual supporters who say, yes, you're doing the right thing, or no, you need to repent of what you're doing. This is what God wants. He removes those spiritual supports. He doesn't just remove the good ones, he removes the illegitimate spiritual supporters as well. The soothsayer in verse 2. And down in verse 3, the clever enchanter. He is removed as well. Those people who provide some spiritual support in by encouraging people in what they're doing. And many people reach out to these illegitimate types of spiritual support today. They reach out to tarot card readers and it gives them some peace of mind to speak to them. But even those are removed so that people have no peace of mind encouraged in what they're doing. God's removing that support. What else does he take away? One last group. Verse 3, the captain of 50 and man of rank, the counsellor and skilled craftsman. Now, it may not be the best translation there, skilled craftsman. It may actually refer to skilled magician, so it may be another sort of spiritual advisor. But if the NIV is right there, and I think it's probably following the, the Greek translation here, which has the, uh, the Greek word that we derive our English word architect from, and so it may be that he's speaking of builders here, the tradesmen that support our society. You may be a bit of a handyman yourself, and so you don't need tradesmen all that much, but I know that in my life I need the tradesman. I need the plumber. I need the electrician. I need the builder. I need the architect. I need them. Otherwise, I'm not going to have a place to live in. I'm not going to have a very functional place to live in. And it was the same in the time of the Israelites. They need the skillful craftsman, the architect, the builder, the person who knows what they're doing. But God says, I'm taking them away. You're not going to have them anymore. And did it happen? Yes. When Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, he took away all the leaders. He killed many, but he also deported a lot of them as well. All the craftsmen, all the clever people, Daniel, the other wise men, they're all gone away from Jerusalem. God removes those supports. Now, is that a bad thing, to have all those supports removed? What is the result of having supply and support removed? Well, Isaiah then tells us in the following verses that chaos results. And that's my second main point this morning, chaos results. How do we see that the place is in chaos? Well, we see that boys and children become leaders. Verse 4, I will make boys their officials. Mere children will govern them. Children are put in charge. And that spells chaos. It's got chaos written all over it. Why don't we put children in charge? Because they're immature. They aren't wise to make the important decisions about how to lead the country. And they get fixated on little things and think that they're big things when they're minor things. I see this with Joshua already. You're trying to feed him. A little bit of food drops on his finger. A bit of pureed pumpkin or whatever he's eating. And he won't eat anymore. He goes, get it off my finger. Everything else pales in comparison to what this little bit of pumpkin hanging off his finger is. And he needs it removed. It's the most important thing in his life at that point. He needs it taken off. And children are like this. 
they fixate on little things and make them big things when they've got bigger things to worry about. And that's why they're not leaders of the country. And they're selfish and more greedy. Many adults are selfish and greedy as well. But you see that in children. They, can, uh, they have a, a natural tendency with sin to go for selfishness. And with proper training and with the Holy Spirit's work upon their heart, they can uh, be more mature and less selfish as they get older and be people who are good leaders of the country. But here in Jerusalem, leaders start to be children, and that is chaos resulting from the removal of better leaders. What else happens with the removal of all these supplies and supports? Well, people start to oppress one another. Verse 5, people will oppress each other. And then it gives a list of the ways that they attack one another. And I think there's a bit of a uh, descending order as to the depravity of man as it goes on. Firstly, there's man against man. And that's not unusual, is it? Man fighting against one another. That's not a big deal. But it is a sign of chaos happening. But what happens next? Neighbour against neighbour. People who are living near one another, who are part of the same country, start to fight one another. So it's not one country going to war against another country, it's civil war where people are starting to fight against their own people. And that's chaos coming as a result of God's removal of supply and support. And then what happens? The young will rise up against the old. As people descend into greater and greater sin, they start to show disrespect for those who are older than them. And that's something that most young people will respect. They won't punch an elderly lady on the road but they might punch another teenage boy but here they're starting to attack even the elderly and showing how depraved they are and then even the base against the honourable it's like in times of war where people attack the Red Cross people who are there trying to help people survive and give them medical care, they're doing the right thing but they're attacked A bomb is dropped on a Red Cross ship. It's people descending into more and more chaos as leaders are not making the right decisions as supply and support has been removed. And what else happens? Well, the next result is that not just children are put in charge, people are put in charge who have the bare necessities. Verse 6. A man will seize one of his brothers at his father's home and say... You have a cloak, you be our leader, take charge of this heap of ruins. Who do they put in charge? The person who has a cloak. And that's actually quite significant because a cloak is the bare minimum of clothing. In the Old Testament there was a law, when you put up security, when you took security from a neighbour for a loan, you took their cloak from them, you gave their cloak back to them that night because they depend upon it to keep warm. And God said, don't you deprive them of their cloak overnight. And here, no one has a cloak except one person. And so they say, you've got a cloak, you be in charge. You've got an appearance of leadership. You take charge. And so they're just going for anyone now. They're not going for a child because they're related to the previous ruler in some way, like a king. They're just going for anyone who looks like they could lead. Chaos is resulting here. And then even then, that person... Do they take leadership? What does it say, verse 7? But in that day he will cry out, I have no remedy, I have no food or clothing in my house. Do not make me the leader of the people. He's got stuff, but he still doesn't want to take charge. 
He's got more than the others, and he just denies it. He accepts no responsibility. It says there in verse 7, I have no food or clothing. The word clothing there is the same word for cloak in the Hebrew back in verse uh, 6. It would have probably been better if the NIV had translated it cloak. So you've got the parallel there that he's denying what others can see he has. It's so chaotic that no one wants to be in charge even when they've got something that sets them apart from everybody else. And so he just denies it. And that's showing how bad things are when no one wants to take charge. Often when things get really bad, people who would have been timid before won't, will go to the front, will take some leadership and try and get things sorted out. But here, nobody wants to look after the place. All the supply and support has been taken away and they're just... We can't get anyone. And even the people who look like they might be able to lead, they don't want to. And the place itself, what is the state of it? What does it say there in verse 6? You have a cloak, you be our leader, take charge of this heap of ruins. The place is just going to shambles. No tradesmen there to keep things up. There's no leadership going on to make sure things are taken care of. The place is in chaos. And did this happen? Did it happen that younger and younger people took the throne? Yes. You look at the last seven kings of Judah before Nebuchadnezzar comes. Last seven, three were under 20 years of age. You start to have boy kings looking after the place. And none were over 25. All seven were under the age of 25 and three of them were actually under 20. Things got very, very bad for Jerusalem. And they fought against one another. There was fighting going on all the time. And the place ends up in a heap of ruins. It actually happened. Isaiah's prophecy did come true. But why is God doing this? Why is he removing supply and support and letting chaos reign in Judah and Jerusalem? Well, the reason is sin. Sin is the cause. That's my third main point this morning. Sin is the cause of what God is doing. And we see that in verse 8 and then in following verses, but we'll look at those in the coming weeks. Verse 8 says, Jerusalem staggers, Judah is falling. Their words and deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. They're sinning in the face of God. They're denying his presence, that he is there watching them. His eyes, they, they can't... Uh, they, they want to sin in his eyes and they don't care that he is watching on. They're being disobedient. What they've started to do is trust in the good things, the supplies and supports that God has given them and not recognise God as the one who is giving them. And so they've started trusting in food and water. They've started trusting in military strength. They've started trusting in their judges and in their spiritual leaders, the soothsayers as well as the prophets. They'll listen to both groups They start trusting in them. They start trusting in the advisors, the elderly and the counsellors, rather than in God. And they start trusting in the tradesmen to sort out their problems. Got a problem with my house? I don't pray about it. I get a tradesman in to fix it. I don't look to God for help what's going on. The Israelites forgot that their supplies and supports are only there because God gives them and they do not recognise his authority there. And they sin in his eyes instead. 
So God removes the supply and support, chaos results, and it's all because of sin. What's the relevance for us? Relevance for us in this day? We're a long way from Isaiah. Is there any relevance for us today? Well, my fourth main point is that sin still causes removal of supports and chaos resulting. Sin still causes the removal of supports and chaos. You in Australia, you're blessed with food and with water, with heroes and warriors. There's certain people in the army who I'm sure are heroes, that they're really, really good soldiers. The ones that I always like to learn about are the snipers, the soldiers that have this amazing self-control to crawl long distances and lie there and control their breathing as they take the shots and be able to look at how the wind direction is going and how that will affect the bullet and the temperature of the air and the, even the curvature of the earth. These warriors that we have in our armies are there looking after us as Australian citizens. We also have judges looking after us. We have courts making wise decisions, keeping the bad people off the streets and making sure they're punished and letting the good people go. We have many, many wise and good judges in this land. We also have uh, elders and counsellors, people who we can get advice from. God has given us Google so that we can get advice and counsel from it. Now, not always the advice is reliable that you get from Google, but also with, if you ask some elderly people, they might give you bad advice. But you do have someone to advise you, and that is a blessing from God. And we also have spiritual support. You have access in this country to religious freedom where you can ask a tarot card reader what is going on in your life and give you peace of mind or another religion. And there's also the spiritual support, the true spiritual support of Christians, reliable Christian ministers who are teaching faithfully from the word. And here at Des Baptist Church, you are blessed with elders and deacons and members of this church, Christians, to advise you and counsel you and encourage you as you walk before God. But if you don't watch out all these can be removed all too easily. Just because Australia looks firm at the moment doesn't mean it will be in the future. Food and water can be taken away. Just have a drought that goes on and on and on. Makes it harder and harder to get cheap food so that you can survive. Military threats can come. Nuclear bomb comes, drops over. Holsworthy, army base, all gone. No more. It can happen. It might happen. Judges can be corrupt. They make unwise decisions. Judges can be removed. Elders and counsellors can be taken away. The internet can go down. And you don't have access to it. And you don't have access to a McDonald's where you get free Wi-Fi and can still get on there. It can be removed. There's always this threat of terrorism with technology that they're going to be able to you know, destroy some part of, um, of the internet or uh, start taking over con uh, control of things that are governed by computers. You don't know that that support will always be there. And churches can be removed. Religious freedom can be taken away all too easily. And ministers put in jail and put to death. It happens. 
and it can happen in Australia. Just because you've got them now doesn't mean you will always have them. And it will happen one day when everything will be removed. There is a day coming that will be worse than what happened to Israel, Judgment Day, where everything you rely on to protect you, to sustain you, is removed. Jesus comes back, that's it. Food and water, cut off. Military support, cut off. Judges, cut off. Your tradesmen to build you a nice house to protect you from Jesus, cut off. All removed and it will just be you and Jesus. A day is coming where you will be held up before Jesus and made to give an account for what you've done. And it's sin that is the problem that will bring the removal of supply and supports. Maybe before Jesus comes back, but that's when Jesus comes back and everything is removed. It's sin that's the problem. So what do you do instead? What do you do instead so that you can be safe from God removing supply and support? Well, remember your support is God. That's my fifth main point this morning. Remember your support is God. How do you remember your support is God? Well, firstly, you get right with him. You become a Christian. You acknowledge him for who he is as he has revealed himself in the word. How do you do that? How do you become a Christian? You repent of your sinfulness, that you have not recognised him as God in the past and you have lived your life your own way and you're sorry about that and you trust that Jesus takes away your sin. Remember, sin is the cause of the removal of supply and support and the way to get rid of your sin is to beg that Jesus took it for you on the cross, to put your trust that he bore your sin there that he took all the judgment that is meant to be put upon you, removes that as you believe in him. That's the first thing you need to do. The second thing you need to do is, of course, remember God's support by thanking him for your current situation. Live rightly before him by thanking him for what he gives you. Thank him for food and water. Thank him for those things. Say grace before meals. It's a good thing to recognise that God has given those things to you. It's all too easy to start thinking that Sydney Water is the one who provides your water. Remember that it is God who supplies your water and thank him accordingly. Thank him for the leaders of Australia and the military that are there, the soldiers that give up their lives to protect you and the leaders who take a lot of flack I don't think I I, I wouldn't want to be Prime Minister. All the media attention, it takes a particular person. And I am thankful that Julia Gillard is there, that we don't have someone else who has taken over as a dictator, that when we had a hung parliament, that some general didn't step up and say, I'm in charge now. Anyone who doesn't like it, I'll shoot you. Julia Gillard's not that. You may like her, you may not like her, but she's not a dictator. And I'm thankful that we don't have a dictator in charge. Many countries around the world have much, much worse situations. Are you thankful for your politicians? You may not like many things that they do, but there are many, many good things that they do. Australia is a very blessed country. 
I start to realise this more and more as I speak to people who are not citizens of Australia and who want to be citizens of Australia and how difficult it is to get into the country and how much they like it here. It is a great blessing to be an Australian citizen. Do you thank God for that and for your leaders that are in charge, that you don't have a child ruling the country? And do you thank God for the blessings of spiritual support of this church? Do you pray for the other members of the church? Do you thank God for the other members of the church? And do you thank God for the leaders of the church? They're only there because God has given them to you. Thank God for them and thank God for the strength that you have individually, that you are able to get up each morning and live your life. Every breath you take is a gift from God. Thank him for that supply and support. Recognise him. Remember that your support is God. And then a third way that you can remember your support is from God. I had um, get right with him, thank him. The other thing is beg him for more supply and support. Thank him for what he has given you, but pray for more to come. Give us this day our daily bread. Continue praying. Lord, provide me with food. Thank him and beg him to keep people holy, to keep the governments holy. Yes, our governments are good, but there are things that they put into legislation that are bad and they could be better. Abortion, coming up with euthanasia may happen. Homosexual adoption just got through in New South Wales Parliament earlier this year. We can pray about those things, that they can be overturned. Beg God that the governments may be holy and pleasing in his eyes. It was the leaders that were unholy in the time of Israel and Jerusalem and God removed the supply and support as a result. Pray for your governments. Pray for your church that they may be kept holy as well. Pray for your leaders that they may not fall into sin. So much good can be undone by a faithful minister of the gospel suddenly becoming unfaithful. Satan loves to attack ministers. Pray for me. Please do. I don't know where I'll be in 10 years' time. Just because I'm good today doesn't mean I will be in the future. You see that again and again with people in the Bible. David was a man after God's own heart and then he fell into grievous sin. Solomon wrote Proverbs and um, Ecclesiastes. And where's he end his life? Worshipping other gods. Pray for me. And pray for the other people in the church that they may be kept holy so God doesn't have to remove them. And beg God to keep you holy. Acknowledge that he has got you to the point that you are at, but ask him to keep you holy so that he doesn't remove supply and support in punishing you in the future. Remember, your support is God. And your ultimate trust should not be in man. God gives those blessings, supplies and supports. He gives us the blessing of the internet, but don't trust in it. He gives us the blessing of tradesmen. He gives us the blessing of leaders. Don't trust in them. Trust in God. Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, you are such a gracious God. You have given people of this world so much that is good. But Lord, it is so easy when things are good to think that they will always be good and then start to trust in those things for the help that we need. Lord, we pray that we may not be like these Israelites. May you not need to remove supply and support from us. 
because we are sinful. But Lord, may we be righteous in your eyes because we have got gotten right with you through Jesus Christ's death. May everyone in this room have repented and believed in Jesus so that they may continue to experience your blessing. Lord, we do pray for our governments and for churches. Lord, we do pray that you may uphold them, strengthen them, and may they do what is right in your eyes and not defy your glorious presence. And Lord, may we be more faithful in thanking you for what you have given us. And may we beg you to give us more and more holiness so that we are not defying your presence, but we are living the way you want us to live. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.